The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, welcome to Brother from Another. Great experience. Joined once again by Jim Trotter. Jim, how are you doing today? I got to check in on you. How are you doing? We see each other uh, on camera, but I just want to make sure you're doing all right. How are you? I'm blessed, brother. How are you doing? See, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Uh, you know, I was going to say truth. I'm doing well, but I'm going to take I'm going to I'm going to take it. I'm going to take a cue from you. I'm blessed as well. But why are you blessed? Tell me. Tell me this. Uh, give me some inspiration and give our listeners on Sirius XM channel 85 viewers on Peacock TV, YouTube podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts, give folks some inspiration. Why are you blessed? Jim Trotter? Look, it's actually real simple. I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Everyone is in good shape. Uh, no crazy drama. All families have some sort of drama, but no crazy <laughs> drama. Woo. Yeah. So, so I got I got nothing to complain about, man. I'm 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 blessed. I'm good. Oh, that's good. I like that. So you have nothing to complain wait, about. I, I want to hear yours you, now. I want to hear your definition. No, I, I was gonna no your definition. I think you you summed it up perfectly. I'll add one thing that you didn't add. Uh, I like the people I work with and I don't have any dirt on them. (laughs) I don't. And if I, you know, and if I do, if I do have dirt on them, you know what? Back to the blessings. Okay. I think there's somewhere, somewhere in the New Testament, you Bible scholars can help me out. Somewhere in the New Testament, it says, do not needly expose the infirmities of others. Okay. So if I got dirt on you, I'm going to keep that between me, you, and the good Lord. So I'm not going to tell everybody about it. But for now, but, yeah, but but apparently now this is interesting. I know we'll, we'll check in with Kevin Harlan in a second. We'll talk with Kevin Harlan about lots of things. Um, but I uh, apparently Daniel Snyder feels that way. But then the commanders have come out with the statement, Jim, saying, no, um, we didn't say that. That's not true. Uh, I, I never said that I got dirt on my fellow owners. I never said I got dirt on Roger Goodell. Uh, I don't know where this report from Seth Wickersham and ESPN. I don't know where it's coming from, but I certainly didn't say it. Uh, what, what do you make? What do you make of all of this, Jim? Look, I, I think that um, Don Vanatta and Seth they do a great job with what they do in terms of, of getting to the underbelly of the NFL. But as I read this story, truthfully, the one thing I came away with was that there's really nothing new here. Um, People within NFL circles have known for some time and have said for some time that they believe the only reason the NFL hasn't pushed harder to remove Daniel Snyder is because they're afraid that he has dirt on others and how he could expose people, meaning fellow owners or even the commissioner, um, if he were to come forward with what he has. So unless you can get specifics and i realize that that's very difficult but as i read the story everything was general in terms of he says he has this on 
a number of owners. Well, we don't know which owners and we don't know what exactly he has. It says he has this on the commissioner, but we don't know what exactly that it what is. It is. Right. Yeah. Right. So as I'm reading all of this, I'm saying I, I, me personally, you know, having covered the league for what more than two decades, um, in a general sense, all of this was known or, or believed to be known. Let me put it that way, because we can't yeah. prove it. But this is what NFL people have been talking about for some time. And, you know, look, like we know the, the owners, there are tiers, there are ownership tiers in the NFL. We know how they work. I mean, the Packers are in a different category, you know, uh, just the community's team. We got it. So the Packers are sure. different. But you've got some teams that have been around for years and years and these French and these names, these families have held these teams for better or worse for a long time. The Fords in Detroit, uh, the, the Hallis family in extension, the Hallis family in, in uh, Chicago, the Bidwills uh, in, in Arizona, the, the Roonies in Pittsburgh. You know, there, there's so many, you know, the Maras in New York. There's so many of these those those are the tiers where they've just been sol rock solid and I think for the most part Jim from rock solid who've been around forever to let's say 10 years. If you've been an NFL owner for 10 years, you could say some version of what Daniel Snyder reportedly said now he's been an owner for 23. But if you've been in the game That's for 10 years, you've You've seen a lot. You heard a lot. You could probably say something similar to that, right? Do you agree with that? I, mean, I think a lot of people oh. feel like, oh, I could bring you down if I needed to. Look, absolutely, Michael. But here's the other thing. Who of us doesn't have skeletons in our closet? And I'll Ooh. start with myself. I'm not getting ready Ooh, to go out too. and put it out on Front Street. I'm going but to. I'm just saying. I, I, no. <laughs> before 4 p.m. Eastern, I'm telling all my stuff. Then you won't have anything. I want to tell you if somebody if somebody starts threatening me, I'm gonna say I'm gonna tell you everything. So now what you got? Okay, I'll tell you all this stuff. Well, that that kind of makes me think of the TJ Watt story a week or two ago where he puts out on social media. Someone's getting ready to report this. So I'm gonna beat him to it. I had, you know, um, a heart defibrillator or whatever it was to bring my my heart rhythm back in order. So so yeah, I'm with you. If someone's getting ready to put it all out there on me, fine, I'll, I'll release it on myself. But until then, I'm not. And and that's why I say, all of these owners, look, you don't get to be, this is my belief personally, you don't get to be a billionaire by being a saint. Somewhere along the way, there have been things that have taken place, whether it's through business, and then we know in our personal lives, we all have things. So. Um, yeah, I'm sure Daniel Snyder has a lot on 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 some of his fellow owners, and I'm sure, obviously, being in those privileged meetings where there are only owners in there, he has heard some things that could be very damning to other owners. And I do believe that there are, are owners, and I know this to be true, having talked to some of them, who don't want that spotlight turned on themselves, and so who do have concerns about Daniel Snyder or any other owner putting um, their personal business out in the street. So, again, as I read it, I'm like, you know, these are great reporters, but I didn't see anything that was new or, or bombshell to me uh, when I concluded the story. Well, I think that's a fair point. But I'm going to tell you, my definition of bombshell, different context. I told you this earlier, Jim. When I'm driving around, 
when I'm driving around on an NFL Monday or NFL Sunday or Thursday, and I'm not by a TV, like most of us want to see it, but if we can't see the game, we want to be able to hear the game. And when I want to hear the game, the guy I go to, I just want you to listen. I want you to take a listen. I just want you to take a listen to who I go to when I need somebody else to tell me what's happening. There's something I can't see, but I trust their eyes and I trust their vision and decision making when it comes to football. Check it out. Second goal of the one. The quarterback Wilson is in the shotgun formation. Lynch will flank into his left. Two wide to the near side, one to the far. In the shotgun, there's the snap, it's built on. Quick throw, it's intercepted at the goal line! It's intercepted by Malcolm Butler! Malcolm Butler is intercepted, Russell Wilson! So, so Jim, I had this little thing when I was doing Boston Radio. I used to tell people and, and, and God bless Kevin Harlan for not really uh, coming in and being a fact checker. I used to tell people, you know, <laughs> Kevin Harlan is my best friend. We're best friends. That's my best friend on the radio. Uh, we go way back. Uh, so and, and Kevin never he never came in and said, no, that's not true. Kevin man it's good to see you. It is good to hear you. What's going on? Michael and Jim, what a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you. Everything is great. Uh, my wife and I are up here on the shores of Lake Michigan, where it is probably going to snow, but it's raining hard now, and it's about 48 degrees. And I'm going to make my way to Cleveland here in a couple days and go see the Browns and Patriots, and then out to L.A. to uh, to do the Monday night game. And then the NBA season starts next week. We'll be in Golden State on Tuesday and Clippers-Lakers oh. on Thursday for TNT. So a good little uh, section of, of broadcasting coming up and I can't wait to get out there. And you know, we, we got a lot to talk to you about then, you know, based on where you're going. I just wanted to say though, uh, if you could just give us a sense because we've had this conversation before Kevin, where I've said to you, look, most of the time, if you're in the car, you're probably on your way somewhere and you'd rather be watching the game. But if you're listening to the game, you make it so visual. And just at that clip there, that Malcolm Butler interception, as we could see it, we heard your call. Hey, Marshawn Lynch flanked to the left. You got wideouts here. Here it is, Russell Wilson in the shotgun. You really can see the game. When did you, when did you start taking that approach? Because as you said, you, you've got a TV gig too, where the pictures are there for you, whether it's basketball or football. When did you start taking that approach on the radio? Well, probably when I started in radio when I was about 12 or 13 years old, and I, I always was enamored with some of the great voices I'd hear on radio, Jack Buck on Monday Night Football on, on CBS and Jim Durham in Chicago doing the Chicago Bulls and Joe Tate in Cleveland doing the, the Cavaliers, and their word pictures to me were so vivid. And I'd go to sleep every night knowing that I could see the exact kind of jump shot being taken or the kind of run by a back or a catch by a receiver just by their words. And, and that really resonated with me. And I felt like, uh, you know, if I ever do anything in the business, I think that's the style I'd like to, 
I like the copies. So I, I worked at that. And, and broadcasting radio, it, it probably is the purest form of broadcasting from a play-by-play perspective because the voice, your reporting skills, the, uh, the all the different things that you use to convey what's going on are in, you know, play. Whereas on television, I could just say Lynch on second and 10 for five and tackled by Jones. These are the 35, you know, I mean, I could, I could, you can see it. And if a picture is worth a thousand words, then that doesn't need anything else except just accentuate maybe a note or, or something like that. And certainly lean on the, on the, on the analyst, but on radio, it's so challenging. I'm far more exhausted doing a game on Monday night uh, than I am doing a game on Sunday afternoon. Kevin, can I can I ask this? First of all, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Um, Same but here, I wanted Jim, to ask, thank you. you you bring, I, I said this to Michael, you and Gus Johnson bring this enthusiasm to a game that not all, all broadcasters bring. And maybe this is a little inside football or inside broadcasting, but how do you determine how much emotion and excitement you want to bring versus the, the the responsibilities of the job, if you will, um, because well, I a, would imagine a there's big, a fine line. Yeah, that's a great broadcasting question, and not to get too into the weeds, but I don't think any of us, whether it's me or or Sean McDonough or Jim Nance or or Al or whoever else is doing a game, thinks about that in particular. But I think you always know that if you kind of lose yourself in the game, if you're really focused in. And, you know, on top of personnel decisions and different swings in the game, trends in the game, that you kind of have to let your inner, whatever that is, come through and you've got to trust your gut or trust your heart and trust your eyes. And so I never go into a game thinking, man, I can't let the let this baby rip with LeBron, you know, going up against whoever. And and you just, if the play needs that kind of, that kind of call, then, then I guess I just let the fan in me speak out. Now, you know, there, there's always that debate about what happens if, if James or somebody makes a terrific play in the first quarter, making it a 10 to seven game, as opposed to the fourth quarter. Well, clearly in the body of the game, it's different, but a great play to me is a great play. And I always think of Ray Rice a couple of years ago in a playoff game against the Pats in New England, the first play of the game, Flacco hands off to Rice, and he busts free and gallops for, like, you know, the opening game touchdown, and it was over after that. And who's not going to get excited for a play like that? Or when LeBron James comes up with a mammoth dunk where he has climbed the ladder and gone over a defender and and puts it down, that, to me, is part of, uh, you know, the, the, the fan coming out and the broadcaster. I, I would like to think that that – People look at broadcasters not as robots, but as fans first and foremost. And I know the two of you are just by reading what you've written over the years and know how much you appreciate what you cover and the different nuances to every story. And I think that's how it is with broadcasting. I think you you just kind of let the moment take you, get lost in the game, so to speak, and let that be your guide. Now, there are some games which are not exciting. And people say, boy, so-and-so sounded Uh down or – what wasn't into it, but that it's the, the game dictates, I think, how we all sound, at least at least for me, it does. And but I appreciate your, your kind comments. And I 
I, it's not everybody's cup of tea, and I get that. I guess I've just got to be true to myself, and I enjoy the games. I've been brought up in sports. My dad was in professional sports with the Cardinals and the Packers, and before that with Marquette and Al McGuire. So I've, I've been around it my whole life, and I'm such a fan and know the diligence it takes and the hours that are going into every play, every shot, every throw. And when you have that kind of appreciation, you know how big a deal it is when a big pass is completed, regardless of when it happens in the body of the game. You talk about your enthusiasm and this great answer, your enthusiasm and your fandom. Uh, you, you've got a football game to go to in Cleveland. Then you got basketball on the West Coast. So <laughs> uh, tell us this about football. What is getting you excited in this early stage of the NFL season? We're in mid-October. Based on what you've seen and what you've covered, is there a trend or is there a, a, an individual that has you looking at the game saying, man, this is, uh, this is pretty cool? Well, we had uh, Miami for those two games, one against Baltimore where they came back in the fourth quarter with Tua, and then the next week when they played Buffalo and beat the Bills in Miami and uh, with a new coach and, you know, supposedly these, these great, you know, skilled players around him, what now could Tonga Vailoa do? And he answered, and they started 3-0 and until he was injured. So clearly the concussion story uh, has resonated because we covered it when he was hit in Miami by the Bills. And and that it has been a story that I think, and then this past weekend, we were in New York with the Jets and Finns and, and Teddy Bridgewater on the first snap of the game of all teams, Miami gets hit and he's yanked out with the new concussion protocol that is being employed by players in, in the league. So, so, so the, the Miami thing has been, uh, has been pretty, you know, exciting early on. I'm, I'm always mesmerized by Mahomes and what he does. Uh, I kind of thought that the Raiders and Chargers would be better. They had fortified their, their teams a little bit, one team with offense and Adams and the other with a, with a nice defensive end to Joey Bosa, who's now out for the Chargers. Um, what Jalen Hurts has done, we've already covered a Philadelphia game on Monday Night Football, and, and he is a thrilling player to watch, always has been. Uh, there, there really is a story uh, with every team, and that's a great thing about the NFL. Buffalo, to me, still, and I know their secondary is whacked, but I, I, I do think that top to bottom, one through 53, their roster is probably as good as there is, at least coming into the season. Uh, and here they are with Kansas City at 4-1. and one. They're going to meet this weekend at Arrowhead. So there are great stories all over the place. Rodgers struggling without a main target in Green Bay. Uh, the Vikings at 4-1. and one. I mean, every team has got, which is the great thing about the NFL, right? Every, every team has some kind of story that is compelling. And so a uh, quarter of the way through the season with two-thirds of it to go, you'd probably say, uh, you know, what has happened is what was to be expected uh, for the most part. And there's a lot to be written for sure. You know, Kevin, as an old man who has trouble remembering what he had for breakfast, I, I'm wondering, how do you balance two sports and do yeah. them so effectively? Where do you find the time and, 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 and how do you store all of that? Well, the NFL is the most difficult job by far because there are roster changes every week. And Michael and Jim, you know this, it's, it, it's it, it, per play. We have sub packages and offense and defense. And so the personnel is constantly going, you know, in and out of the game. And so from about Tuesday night, Wednesday morning on, uh, almost until I leave for the stadium Sunday morning, 
Uh, I'm constantly watching tape and just trying to make sure that I'm familiar with with the players and formations and what they like to do. I don't. I am not an expert on the NFL, but in terms of calling it and knowing groupings, I guess I try to make myself familiar with that. And then you just go in. I, I think there's so much. The one thing that I've, I've talked about with a couple of the people is just the information overload is immense. And now that, that gambling has gotten into this sport and they're almost hand in hand with everything they're doing, now you've got all the fantasy slash gambling experts weighing in and offering all kinds of, uh, you know, a completely different set of, of things that you might want to pay attention to. So that is worth a, a glance. But um, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I, I just I love what I do. Uh, I try to limit it to these two sports. Um, and, and, and I just, I try to be patient with the call. And, uh, when, uh, when I've got that time to study that team, I pour myself into it like you two do. And, and you just hope, you know, pray more than anything that you've got enough in your holster to, uh, to make sure that you come out with, uh, with everything you can give it. And, and that is kind of the, the recipe. If, if there is one, just, to, I, I love, I love what I do. I don't like the travel. I don't like being away from home, but I do love from the kickoff to the final second and from the tip off to the final second. I love that. So when you enjoy something as you two do, the things you cover, it makes it a little bit easier. So I always feel like we get to do the job, not we have to do the job. We get to call the games. And I look at it uh, from that point as as a privilege. Well, I'll tell you what's so fun about you, Kevin, is that you do that. You do it at a high level. But also, uh, when there's time for, when there's a light moment, when it's time for levity, uh, you embrace it. I think the last time I saw you uh, was in New York. The last time I talked to you, this was after somebody ran on the field and you had the call <laughs> of, hey, there's a, uh, the guy in the red hat is on the field. And I talked to you about it. You said, was that okay? That were you? I said, yeah, it was fine. It was great. And you wanted to, you said it was like a balance between you know, having some fun, but not necessarily messing with the integrity of the game. And I, I don't think you mess with the integrity of the game and you did it again. So what 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 light goes on or what goes what happens for you where you say to yourself, all right, I can do this now. I'm going to call this. I'm going to do play by play on this crazy moment. <laughs> well, uh, I, I did them all on radio, which which is one thing. So on radio, you've got a little bit more leeway, I think, and you can explain what you're seeing. And and if there is something somewhat circus-like about whatever the person is doing out there, it might be worth something. And I did that uh, many, many years ago on that Monday night game in, in Santa Clara. And then it happened again in the Super Bowl. And again, the guys are running on the field and no one's stopping them. I'm like, I don't know where the security people are because these guys have got full the, the full stage to do whatever they're going to do. I also had the woman who glued herself to the target center floor in Minneapolis <laughs> during wow. the play-in game last year, <laughs> yeah. which was really yeah, strange. Right. And, and so I, I guess there, there, there's, a, there's a side of you that feels like you've got a report on it. And then, a, and then another side of you, which feels like here, this is, this happened uh, the other night. And, and what yeah. I wasn't going to call it until the guys came off the bench and drilled the guy. And, <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, and, that, and then you couldn't, I couldn't see who it was because there was this big plume of smoke and, you know, he's out there doing who knows what. And for whatever reason, 
And and that's the other thing you kind of got to watch, too, is, is sometimes these people are so passionate. It's not the right stage to do it, but they're so passionate about their cause. And that happened to be an animal rights person, the the, the woman who, who who glued herself to the floor in that play-in game in the last NBA season. She was doing something about animal rights. And so I, I think what I've learned is, is you know, let it breathe a little bit and find out what's going on and, and, and not make a mockery of what they consider an important thing for them. But I have pretty much tried to swear off it. There have been several actually in between all those episodes, whether it was an animal on the field, which you can really have fun with as they did last <laughs> night with the goose in Los Angeles or, or, or a person. I, 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 th- I think there comes that time when you've just got to say, uh, okay, there's somebody on the field and, and we're going to move on to something else. But um, they're pretty creative, aren't they? I mean, with, with smoke now and glue yeah. and, you know, like there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to process from so far away and figure out what's going on. Kevin, I'm, I'm going to ask you something that you may not ever come back on Michael's show after I ask you this. But oh, here we go. I'm, I'm curious. Good. 38 years as a broadcaster of the NFL, 37 years as a broadcaster of the NBA. You've worked with a lot of analysts. Who's your favorite and why? Um, I've worked with so many great people, and, and I would almost hate to say I, 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 I'll do it from this standpoint, maybe who I've learned the most from. Can I do it that way? Okay. Because sure. all of them have been friends from the late Sam Weich. Um, I mean, I, I just worked with Boomer Esaias, who I used to do Monday night games with. I learned the most basketball uh, with Doug Collins when I worked uh, seven years with Doug at TNT, I, I learned something every game because he played it, he coached it, and he's broadcasted it. And he he had such a unique view of the game. And and by happenstance, we just connected as friends. And so I always kind of feel, and I've worked with Hubie, and I've worked with Bill Raftery, and I love those gentlemen and respect them so much. So I've loved all of them. I, I really – Honest to God, can't say that I've really not enjoyed someone, but I learned the most from Doug. And then, and then football-wise, I've worked with you know, I mean, just uh, so many people: Moose Johnston and Jerry Glanville, and like I said, uh, Sam White, and um, uh, just just all the all these different great professionals. But I, I learned a lot from Rich Gannon and now Kurt Warner in terms of just the preparation that these two kind of rags to riches stories got them to where they were. And it wasn't necessarily early in their careers where they just jumped in and had great success. Rich was a guy that bounced around a little bit, had to find the right environment, found it with John Gruden with Oakland and the rest is history. He was an MVP after kind of bouncing around the league and, and, uh, and, and went to a Super Bowl. And then with Kurt, we all know his story very well. Um, wasn't drafted, small school, one year of college starting, uh, bagged groceries in Iowa, got the tryout with Green Bay, quickly cut as Favre and Ty Detmer and Mark Brunel were there, landed somehow in St. Louis with the Rams, had Mike Martz as a coordinator who kind of formed him, had the time, of course, in the Arena Football League. So what I appreciated about those two was that they took the, the, the wherewithal that mentally they had to go through to get to where they got to. In, in terms of NFL success, but they had to work so hard behind the scenes studying and knowing, they had to know it better than the coaches, both Rich 
to get to where he got and Kurt. And they've taken that same, Michael and Jim, they've taken that same work ethic and they've extended that to the broadcast booth. And I'm, I was just always amazed at, at everything that Rich had seen and that, and that um, Kurt Warner sees during these broadcasts leading up to the games. We'll do a game on Monday night and on the half hour, 45 minute ride from the hotel to the stadium, he's got a laptop in front of him and he's charting every play of that game he's watching. And then we go in the booth and we're three hours before kickoff. And now he's on another game and he's on another game. By the way, on the red eye he's taken, he has watched two or three games and he's done some Sunday night before he's gotten on the red eye. So that by Wednesday morning, he has watched every snap of every game and taken notes in his notebook. And I've seen him do it hundreds of times. And mm-hmm. I just admire that kind of, of tenacity. And if I were a fan and I heard both of those guys talking about plays, I've got real trust in that what they say right. has some real teeth, right? You trust them because they work so hard at what they do. That's such a good word, trust. I mean, it really Absolutely. comes down to the whole fan experience uh, for all of us. There, there are certain people you trust in that position. I, I always tell people um, that when I was when I uh, did my first book on, on the Patriots and I saw them up close, I got to tell you, Kevin, I said their preparation has now altered my preparation. I, I got to take my that's just watching them. Now I got to take my game to another level because this is this is something I didn't really anticipate. How have you been altered by the analysts that you've worked with? Well, just their attention to detail, probably more than <clears> anything. <throat> and and like I said, I, I'm such a fan because I've, I've been in these quarterback meetings when I was a kid, a teenager in Green Bay when I was a ball boy. I, I've been on the practice field and I've heard uh, all the exactness that needs to go into making one play happen. Uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to go to Peyton Manning practices when they would let us come in on Fridays and watch him and Marvin Harrison, you know, pass maybe 30, 35 times one corner route, you know, inside wow. the, the 12 yard line. And it's just mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So that it's all, not that muscle memory, but it, it's locked in up here and each knows each step, each portion of that route that he's running. And every moment that he is stepping back in that pocket to throw, and, and Harrison has got that clock in his head and Manning, Manning's got it in his head and watching that kind of precision. It is inspiring. I know exactly what you're saying, Michael. When, when you see somebody in another uh, line of work and whether it's a player or a coach or the playbook or the, the diligence with which these guys study or a, a, the way a partner prepares, um, it is inspiring. And I think all of us that have been in the league covering whatever sports on the national level as you two do, um, you you're always trying to evolve. And if you're not evolving, as Madden would f- famously say, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And that's so that that's is right. so true. If if you rest or exhale, um, it shows. Now, listen, I, I'm, I am so far from being what I, I want to be, but I like the challenge every time I put on a headset to, to try to be better than the last time. And so I'll go over my games and I'll chart my plays and I'll mark the things that are important to me that I picked up. Actually, quite frankly, some things I've taken from the Patriots, Michael, very much like you. And we may have talked about this, or I got it from your book, but I, I feel like like the thing that consistently makes them a difference, 
maker and, and so consistently good and the same is that these players are so well taught and believe so much in the detailed game plan and never try to go outside the parameters of what they're supposed to do. I write on the top of my boards every game, do your job. That means report. <laughs> What's the down and distance? Who's in the game? You know, you can, you, you can equate to what you two do. I do. I, there are easy ways to do it for me because there are so many things that a play-by-play guy should do. Uh, yeah, tell the occasional story, but most importantly, the down and distance and who's in and, 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 and a statistical update. I'll go back and watch Michaels do a game. And even at his age and as many games as he has done, I, I, I take down notes and, and, and see things that he does. and go, God, I know it. Like, of course, like, like what? And, and so we're all b- borrowing things we've seen others do or borrowing things we've seen another profession do that make them so good. And I've, cop- I've got a lot of sayings Belichick has made, and you get a lot of those by former players that are elsewhere. And the reporters in that room will ask these former players for Belichick, you know, yeah. what did he do or what, what, what is the Patriot way? And guys describe it. Each of them has the same basic message, but they have different words when they describe it. I always jot them down because there's always mm. something to be learned. So I, I am a big fan of those kind gr- grinders is not the right word, but people that are just always on top of the details uh, because no detail is too small and all the small details lead to bigger ones. And so I kind of try to have that lead me. Kevin, I want to ask you this real quick before you go. As you go back and you listen to your broadcast and you critique yourself and whatnot, is there ever a moment where you say, yeah, I got that one. I nailed that one. Is, is, is there one that stands out for you? Play that Malcolm Butler clip again. That Malcolm Butler one. Come on. Well, 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 the only reason why that Malcolm Butler is Sports Illustrated, I think, gave the top five a couple of years ago, had the top five play-by-play calls in a Super Bowl, and they included that Butler play. And and, and the story of that was clearly, uh, it came out afterwards that they had practiced it the day before in the walkthrough, right? That Ernie Adams had said, by the way, we haven't practiced this one play that I know that they do, and they practiced it, and so they were ready for it, right? Again, attention to detail. Did you catch Jim? There's the snap. It's belt high. Okay, the details. I love the details. Come on now. That's my stuff. I go crazy for stuff like that. I love that. Okay, I got it. So now I'm driving. I'm not watching. Okay, it's right here. Okay, I got Marshawn Lynch over here. I can see the whole thing. And and thanks for the shout out to Joe Tate. Rest in peace, Joe. I grew up in Akron, Ohio, listening. Oh, you know, we, our, our TV. Hey, hey Kevin, uh, old school, one of those uh, TVs with the rabbit ears. It was very unreliable. <laughs> so yes. the Cavaliers, they were not good. And they were on off, always on some off stations. Very like 20% of the time I can if I watch them, I'm watching through like all the the haze. I'm trying to see it. So I'd listen to Joe and Joe would do the same thing dribbling with the right hand. He called a timeline across the timeline. Okay, here he is. You know, it's just like the whole thing. He just had that. He just had those pictures. Last thing I have for you. I know you're going to uh, uh, Golden State opening night. 
Uh, what do you expect? A little bit of drama that you, you're running into, Kevin. I'm glad you missed uh, the craziest part of it, but now you get to see the uh, rebuilding of the trust with the Golden State Warriors. What do you expect there? Well, um, I, 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 because Steve and I worked together and we did the video game together for many years, 2K video game, uh, he and I are, are very good friends and um, and we've been texting back and forth, not about this, by the way, but, but just throughout the summer doing some uh, some voice work for the team in their celebration of another championship. But um, uh, every, I've always thought, and Doug, I'm getting this from Doug Collins now, this is, he said every championship team needs a little, there needs to be kind of a tense atmosphere. There need, needs to be some, uh, some aggression, internal aggression. Phil Jackson loved that with the Lakers, Kobe and Shaq, right? I think he played them off more than we know against each other. I think they got it in Chicago. I think he got that with, with Rodman a little bit and others they would bring in. Not that Steve has fostered maybe some aggression, some intensity, um, off the off the regular season, but but in practice and in those meetings, I, I think there's always a little, you know, internal tension is not all that bad. Now, hmm. hitting a guy is not probably the the antidote, but there there is something I'm sure that they will find and they can make that work in a positive way. Steve, to me, is a genius. Um, the way they've constructed the team, the assistant coaches they have, the, the kind of character they've got, the players that they've won with, the Hall of Fame pedigree that is on their team. And now they're they're training these other kids that could easily become the next version of those Hall of Famers in the years ahead. It, it, it's, it's, it's like genius in the way they're, they're getting it to go. But I, uh, Draymond Green to me is a, I, I love that guy. I, I've, I've met him several times. He's a member of the Turner family. I should be upfront about that. Um, but I clearly he, he'd be the first, and he has, he's apologized. First thing to, to, to swing at a teammate is not the way to handle it, but there's always hmm. something I think positive you can find with a little internal combustion and keeping guys on edge. Jackson used to do it with the bulls and the Lakers I don't think Steve, but I think now he's going to take this opportunity and try to make the most out of the opportunity and try to spin it as positively as you can. A pretty, a pretty difficult situation. Kevin, always great. Always great to talk to you, my friend. And you know this, uh, drop by anytime. Uh, we've got, uh, we've got a key under the mat, but you should have a key already anyway. So don't worry about the key on the mat. You should have a spare key. Come on in. Let yourself in. You can go in the refrigerator if you want to get your favorite drink. But uh, come by and talk with us. We always enjoy a conversation. My privilege. Uh, great to be on with you. Michael, you know how I feel about you, and I've told you several times I'm a fan of what you do. And, Jim, I've read you forever. And so I feel like I'm with uh, uh, two old friends here that we've uh, traveled many miles and intersected perhaps from time to time. But... Uh, having read you both so much, I feel like I know you very well, but it was sure fun to visit, and thanks for having me on. Much respect, we'll Kevin. Be we'll be listening to you, and we'll be watching you. Uh, NFL you. on Sunday in Cleveland, and then going to the West Coast for some basketball. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal 
and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Uh, the great Kevin Harlan. We take great pride in um, what we've built here. Um, you know, the, the continuity, the the, um, the culture, um, and there's no way around it. That that culture has been um, damaged um, by this incident. And so you have to work to repair that. You have to find that vibe again every day. Uh, you know who that is. Uh, that's Steve Kerr, head coach of the world champion Golden State Warriors. They're in position to defend their championship, and they're going to do it. Apparently, Tom Haberstrow, they're going to do it with Draymond Green, back at practice today. This is the story we just can't get enough of because it will continue to evolve. Uh, Stro, what happens now? I, I, that's the question I want to know. What happens now with Draymond and the Warriors? That Steve Kerr clip reminds me of the fact that that guy got punched right before they broke the record for most wins in a season. Steve Kerr was punched in practice by Michael Jordan and then they famously rattled off a 72-win season and won the championship. So you have to keep in mind all of the battles that Steve Kerr has been through in, an, in a basketball court, whether it's the Spurs, whether it's the Jailblazers, whether, whether it's this Warriors team or the Bulls, all of that is informing his decision as a team to not suspend Draymond Green. And it shows a lot of trust here that they still have in Draymond, but more importantly, that Stephen Curry is worth six times his salary. He makes $48 million a year, but the calming presence and the ability to keep that locker room together, Stephen Curry is the most important person in this organization. It's not Steve Kerr, it's not Draymond, it's not Clay Thompson or Joe Lake. Like Stephen Curry keeping this team together is so important. The way he carries himself and keeps things calm, man, it is it is really impressive how they have been able to keep this pushing forward. And I will say this, I think the Warriors are going to threaten to win 70 games this year. I really do. You look at this roster, the additions that they have on this team, the young players, the rookies from last year getting another year of experience and seeing what the playoffs are like. We are going to see one team this year threaten to win 70 games because of all of the tanking we're going to see for Victor Wembanyama. <laughs> Some team okay. is going to take advantage okay, of fair. all of those teams that's tanking. Fair. And it could very well be the world champion you know, Golden State Warriors that have already done that. Stro, that's fair. And, and Trotter, I, I'm going to pass it to you. I was just say this. It's fair because I hadn't thought of it. Think about the major tankers. OKC, Western Conference. San Antonio, Western Conference. And Utah, Western Conference. So, you know, the Warriors are going to play. It's not, hey, we play them twice a year and move on. You're going to be playing these teams that have no interest whatsoever and winning the game or even being competitive. So when you first said 70, I I was taken aback, but you're right. Yeah, probably. That that was brilliant because Michael will tell you, I'm a a Warriors fan. I grew up in the Bay Area, used to attend Warriors games in the the $5 nosebleed seats back in the day with Joe Barry Carroll. When you said 70, I immediately was like, ooh, really? 
but now that you explain it, it makes perfect sense yeah. to me that it could happen. Absolutely. But Tom, I want to ask you this. So, so I know this whole Draymond thing, as Michael said, we can't get enough of it. Two things from me. Number one, if the video doesn't get out, I don't think this is the story that it is today. Video changes everything, whether it's Ray Rice, um, whether it's Kareem Hunt, you know, um, whatever it may be, Donald Sterling on, on audio tape, video or, or recordings change everything. But then there's a part of me that also wonders from the Warriors standpoint, if they can convert this into a positive from the standpoint that in many ways they have, try, have tried to get Draymond under control a little bit. They want that fire. They want that energy. But at times, as we know, he has gone a little too far. Does a situation like this where he now has to regain the trust of the locker room, the staff, the organization help in terms of the Warriors being able to reel him in a little bit? There are people that I've talked to around the league that while they sit back and say, oh my, did you see that video? After that marinates for a while, they start to realize, wait a minute, could this actually help them in the long run? And what I mean by that is, Remember when Draymond Green and Kevin Durant had that interaction that 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 spat in that Clippers game at the end. You know what happened after that? They won 13 of their next 14 games shortly after that altercation between Draymond and KD, which was nothing like this Jordan Poole situation by the way. At apples and oranges, but I will say these conflicts surrounding Draymond Green in the long run, they do recover and they do in some ways get stronger as a unit. Now, Draymond Green can say all he wants, Jim, that the idea of this team and that altercation wasn't about the money, that, that Jordan Poole's chirping in the practice wasn't about the money. But let's be honest, we've been in those situations in our own workplaces. You don't even have to say it, right? You don't have to say it or verbalize it. This is a very high tense atmosphere when four players, Clay Thompson, uh, Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, and Clay Thompson are up for extensions, and there's only so much Wiggins. money to go around. So I do think that if they get this past this uh, past this point and do those extensions for the certain players, man, Draymond Green, those incentives align because if Draymond, D Draymond Green doesn't get that extension, he is going to want to prove to the world that not only is he a great yeah. leader, but he also can still play, and that is in, in line with the Golden State Warriors trying to defend that championship. You already mentioned... Uh, you know, Kevin Durant and Draymond situation and, and, and KD talked about it too. Said it's a little different. You know, we got into a spat and that happens all the time. He said, but a guy got punched in the face here. That's something that just doesn't happen uh, in NBA uh, in NBA practices often. But it just reminds me when we look at Brooklyn, you got KD, you got Kyrie, you got Ben Simmons. That should have a saying, Ooh, watch out for Brooklyn. We're not. I, I'm not. How about you? Do you look at Brooklyn now, restart, try to get uh, Steve Nash fired, he's back. KD tried to get himself traded, he's back. Kyrie's back. What do you look at? What do you see when you see when you look at Brooklyn? A lot of injury questions. Look, Ben Simmons was away from the game from a really long time. We know KD's history with his injuries. We know Kyrie Irving has not been the most durable player. And then you have Ben Simmons who had back surgery. That's a huge deal that I think is not being underlined enough 
He was away from the game, dealing with the off-court stuff with the Philadelphia 76ers, but also underwent a back procedure. And so I don't think that people are talking about the health situation enough. We talk about the Brooklyn Nets as a hypothetical, and a lot of that has to do with Kyrie Irving removing himself from the team by not getting vaccinated, not being with the team on uh, at home. And I think a lot of the questions we have about the Brooklyn Nets, to me, are not about the fit. I think Ben Simmons fits perfectly with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They need a defender who can guard one through five. To me, the questions are about availability and KD, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons ability to play 82 games with each other. And I will say this, just a reminder to put a bow on that, that Warriors thing. Like, remember, OJ Mayo got punched by Tony Allen in a, in a, in a plane situation over a, a gambling debt that went awry. They went yes. on to upset the, the one eight Spurs. They were the eight seed, the Memphis Grizzlies and went on to win over the Spurs when they were the so, number one seed. So like so many times Kevin Durant's right. This doesn't happen, okay. but when punches do happen, it isn't always breaking the team. And I think we're going to have that situation with the sure. Warriors. Okay, I think I think we have to we're up against the clock, but I will say this: uh, Jim Trotter, Tom Haberstroh, what Stroh's telling us, Trotter, we all need to have a fight, and this show will win an <laughs> Emmy. Let's just go and let's just fight. Come on, let's go! And I Don't love push you, me, both guys. You both of you. Don't both push you guys me. know I love you. Hey, we'll get over it. We'll fight. We're all bald. We can't pull. We can't pull each other's hair out. We just go out. We just knock each other outside the, the head. I'm the old man. I'll Let's take go. the hit. I'll take the hit. <laughs> I love it. Good to see you, Stro. I appreciate it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Thank you. Thank you, fellas. Always a good time. All right, Jim Trotter, quick question. Uh, Thursday Night Football, how are you going to stay awake for Commander's Bears? What are you going to do? Teach. I will be in class tonight. So I will be with... I will be with my students and won't have to worry about I like it. it. You stay awake. You stay awake by not watching it. That that's a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks. See you guys later. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.